0: This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Kinyonkohage Nation in Chachage, also known as Montreal, Quebec. The original lands of many First Nations, including the Kinyonkohage of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, Huron-Wendat, Abenaki, and Anishinaabe. To learn what land you're on, go to native-land.ca. you are having a wonderful beautiful sunny sweet cozy monday. It is currently sunday as i'm recording this, but nonetheless, i hope that we are all feeling good today and we are all feeling ready to dive into a good conversation about gender, which is what this week's episode is on. I have been wanting to record um an episode on this for quite a while, basically ever since i started Planning my podcast, and I have a lot of notes. Um, they're not super organized, so this episode might be a little bit chaotic. But um, I am really excited to talk about it. I just like—I think the reason why I've been hesitating to put it out there is just because there's so much that I want to cover, and there's so much that I want to talk about that I'm worried about leaving stuff out and then being like, "Oh crap!" But that's the point of a podcast is to have multiple episodes. So I will definitely be having future episodes around gender and um, binary thinking, hierarchies, biopolitics. Intersexuality is something that um, I've gotten a few suggestions about from some of you. And that's something that I find super interesting and also something that's not really talked about a whole lot in the media and also in academia, and it's something that I learned a lot about at the beginning of the semester, and I found it really, really interesting, and also I learned so, so much, and so I would love to do a whole episode on that, and um, also just, like, medicine and politics and biopolitics and how this, like, changes with modernity and... Yeah, lots of stuff to unpack there, so that'll definitely be a whole episode on its own. But for today's episode, we're mainly going to be focusing on different gender models, components of gender, sexual preferences, biological essentialism versus social constructionism, the kind of, like, basics with some really interesting insights from Kate Bornstein's book, My Gender Workbook, How to Become a Real Man, A Real Woman, The Real You, or Something Else Entirely, and that's where I'm going to be getting a lot of my own thoughts and ideas. I did this reading at the beginning of second semester this semester, and so a lot of what I'm going to be talking about in this episode stems from my own thoughts and curiosities and questions that came up after reading a few chapters in Kate's book. So I just want to introduce Kate Bornstein a little bit since I am taking so much inspiration from their book my gender workbook um they have a lot of a lot of books i'm not sure how many but this one was super super interesting i obviously i didn't read the whole book for one class but i read some chapters from it and it's just really really unique and interesting and very provocative and left me with a lot of questions which i always love after reading so Kate Bornstein is an American gender theorist, as well as many other things like being an author, a playwright, and an actor. I know them mostly from their gender theories, just because that's what I'm studying. But definitely give Kate a Google. Really, really interesting person. Many, many very cool ideas about gender. And yeah, so let's let's just dive right into some of the things that came up for me. So, first of all, I want to talk about the biological imperative. So, biological imperatives are basically just like what living organisms need to do in order to survive and what Kate Bornstein focuses on in the gender workbook is this idea of biological imperatives focus on genitalia as either male or female. And what Kate is talking about in the gender workbook in connection to the biological imperative is this definition of genitalia as either male or female and nothing else makes it so that sex, our biological sex organs, become gendered. And then from this, categorization arises based on genitalia, chromosomes, hormones, and reproductive ability. And so this categorization is entirely biologically based. And so that connection between sex and gender is all rooted in biology. When we talk about gender, we have to talk about categorization because gender is just all about categorization based on appearance, mannerisms, biology, psychology, hormones, etc., And then we can divide this categorization up into different components. And this is what Kate Bornstein does in their work. And so to begin, we can kind of separate all the different components of gender and kind of just explain what they mean, what their purpose is. And so we can start with gender assignment. And Kate Bornstein says that gender assignment is all about asking the question, what do the authorities say that I am, male or female? And then there's gender role. What does the culture think I should do with my life? So what are the qualities, duties, and expectations that I am supposed to have, all based in very, very limiting stereotypes of what each gender is meant to do and meant to be? And then there's gender identity. Am I a man or a woman or something else entirely? And something to note about gender identity is that gender assignment, which is what do the authorities say that I am, this often stands in for gender identity without our consent. So meaning that what other people say that we are, male or female, what the binary system of gender says that we are is how we define ourselves. That is what becomes our gender identity but it doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our own understanding of what our gender identity is. It comes from what we are told about what gender we supposedly are, based on these conceptions and categorizations of how we appear to the rest of the world. And there's gender attribution, which is us deciding whether someone is a man or a woman or indeterminable. That's the language that Kate Bornstein uses. And so this idea is just that we attribute gender to people based on a really specific system of cues, and these cues vary from culture to culture. And so I'm just going to be talking about from like a Western perspective, but like when you see somebody, you judge, your brain does a really quick judgment of whether or not they have more masculine or more feminine characteristics and so if they have a beard you automatically assume that they're male if they have breasts you automatically assume that they're female and it's these kinds of cues that we have been conditioned into connecting back to this idea of gender and gender identity that allows us to attribute gender to people and this links back to our sexual preferences and sexual orientation because our sexual preferences depend on the gender identity of others. So sex, the thing that we do with the people who we are sexually attracted to, sex is linked to gender. So our sexual attraction is linked to somebody's gender identity. Our sexual attractions are directly connected to gender attribution. We attribute gender to that person, then we make the decision whether or not we're sexually attracted to them. But then what happens is that there is a filter applied. And what Kate Bornstein says that filter is, is that it is the question of whether or not this person that we're looking at is the so-called right gender for us. So if we're a cisgender man, the right gender would be a cisgender woman. And the opposite, if we're a cisgender woman, then the right gender would be a cisgender man. And so based on all of these social cues connected back to biological definitions of gender we make the decision whether or not we're sexually attracted to that person and whether that's correct if that's like the right way for us to feel sexually attracted to that person a lot of what kate bornstein talks about in the gender workbook is that long-lasting connection between sex and genitals and what they define sex as is like they focus on sex being the act itself and so that involves genitals and genitals are gendered based on that biological way of measuring whether someone's male or female or something else and then so sex becomes gendered and they become interdependent they become all tangled up in one another one can't exist without the other Okay, I want to talk a bit about different models of gender that Kate Bornstein kind of underlines in the gender workbook. And so there's, first of all, the binary, which is opposites, male and female, the most widely adopted view of gender from a Western standpoint. And so in a binary perspective of gender, there's only male and female. There's no spectrum. There's nothing. It's just male and female and they're opposites and that's it. Then there's the yin and yang, which is kind of correlative aspects. There, it's like an interplay of different forces. So you could look at it as dark and light, male and female, hard and soft. And so again, it's 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 not opposite, but it's they're correlated. And then there's the continuum, which is like the spectrum kind of way of looking at gender, which is um, it's used gender as. Each person possessing, expressing, and suppressing a big, wide array of different characteristics and traits that are associated with the genders male and female. So it's like a spectrum. And then there's gender as a circle, which originally stems from indigenous conceptions of gender, where there are no fixed binaries, gender is a circle, anyone can be anywhere on the circle of gender expression. And then the last one that is coined by martine rothblatt which kate bornstein talks about is a color metaphor of gender and so this metaphor talks about activeness passiveness eroticism these these things all existing as different colors and they all shift in proportion to one another so there can be a bunch of different color combinations depending on one's gender identity and expression. And color combinations will change, which demonstrates the fluidity of gender and how much it can shift and how many different shades you can get and how many different tones of, of reds and blues and yellows and whatnot. I really like this way of looking at gender because it steps so far out of the binary box that we currently exist in right now. But that's also the reason why it's a concept that I don't think we're totally ready to grasp or fully embrace yet as a society. I think that um, that's something that Kate Bornstein also points out in the, in the piece is that it's a really cool concept, but we're not quite there yet. Overcoming and stepping out of the box of the binary way of thinking is the only way for us to get closer to understanding the complexity and nuances of gender, exploring the endless ways in which masculinity and femininity and androgyny can be expressed and understood is such a beautiful, beautiful, exciting, wonderful thing, but so many of us are unable to really grasp the idea of just letting go and releasing these binary biological ways of thinking. Because that's what we've been educated on under these systems that have institutionalized and naturalized binary heteronormative colonial narratives of gender. Okay, um, to kind of focus in on two concepts that are like the basis of a lot of gender debates, the whole nature versus nurture, biological essentialism versus social constructionism kind of conversation... So I want to define both of them. Um, Biological essentialism is really focused on genitalia, chromosomes, genetic makeup. Um, Basically, it's it's the thought that everything stems from biology, and this is what determines sexuality and gender, whereas social constructionism is the idea that everything is socially constructed it is separate from nature it is not connected to biology it's the idea that everything stems from social constructions that are shaped by institutions and individual forces and religion and all of this all that jazz Um, And so what I like to do is just kind of like play in between these different theories and kind of connect them whenever I can and kind of just see gender as a really complex, really nuanced, layered, layered, big fat cake (laughs) that is made up of different components of social construction while biology still plays an important role in how we understand gender and how it shows up and how this shapes our identity and our expression and all of that stuff. I think what's really, really important to remember in the conversation about gender and gender categories is to remember that the emergence of distinct categories of man and woman, gay, straight, of sexual beings is a direct consequence of a sustained effort at social control. Like this these categories are so rigid and they exist because they were designed to limit and control and to erase identity. And I think that's so important to remember even if we're talking about the role of biology and the role of sociology and psychology You cannot leave that part of the conversation out because it's such a key component of this conversation and you you can't talk about gender without talking about its historical context and also how this context has shaped our own understanding and perceptions of things like gender and sexual orientation today because those foundations have shaped the institutions that we learn under and they shape the mindsets that we adopt and they shape the way we teach others about it and so examining that historical context and knowing how those categories and that process of categorization came about is key this policing of identity whether it comes to gender or sexual orientation is something that comes from a desire to control the population and to regulate and to police bodies based on this Judeo-Christian perspective of how the world should work and who should be with who and who should identify as what and all of that. Some key concepts that I've gotten from a lot of Judith Butler's work about gender, sex, um, sexuality, and the binary system um, are just wondering how binaries function in power how these binaries work, how their power is maintained, the pitfalls of undermining these binaries, how terms like queer affect binaries, and how the rejection of either-or ways of thinking, man or woman, gay or straight, is potentially a way to open up understandings of the gender binary, and destabilizing categories yeah there's there's a lot of questions that come up um I'm not I'm not really giving any answers to them because it's something that I am still learning about and still discovering things and still just like kind of playing around with different concepts and different questions and different curiosities and how I can kind of figure out what I want to do with all this information about gender I think the idea of naturalization is also really important in this conversation. Um, Naturalization is the process that treats human categories. So categories like male or female, gay, straight, lesbian, bisexual. Naturalization treats these categories as fixed features of this so-called natural world. So it basically makes these categories that were created by people and by institutions makes it seem as though that's just a universal natural way of looking at the human condition so in connection to gender we come to know this binary way of thinking about male or female and nothing else because that is what has been naturalized through our institutions and through our educational systems and so that is what we think is the right way of understanding gender and of judging gender roles and gender expressions and gender identities the other thing about naturalization is that it's made to be so that like you think you can't do anything about it it creates this perception of powerlessness and apathy and passivity and it's as though we can't do anything about it because it's already been naturalized and so there's no escaping it but I, I don't think that that's true I think that destabilizing these categories that have been naturalized is possible i'm optimistic i think that a lot of questioning needs to happen and a lot of just like curiosity and play with these concepts is what will allow us to break free from the binary way of thinking By looking at gender in such a binary way, what we're doing also is oversimplifying what it means to be masculine and feminine. It puts these ideas into really rigid categories that don't really have much room to grow and to play and to shift and to change and evolve. And so it oversimplifies the ideas of what is male and female, masculine and feminine. And that's partly what creates these gendered stereotypes of what it means to be masculine and feminine, what it means to be a man and a woman, and how anything other than those stereotypes and those assumptions of what the gender should look like and act like, anything outside of those boxes is unnatural, is deviant, is dangerous, is wrong, And so we stay in these boxes because we're unsafe without them. We're unsafe without our little protected bubble of mask or femme. And in staying in these boxes, we become so segregated from one another. We become segregated on the basis of gender and sex. Instead of being seen as human first, we are seen as our gender first. Like, what is this obsession with categorization? What is this obsession with needing to slap a really obvious label on every human body and treating them a specific way according to that label and this is why i love queer theory so much is because queer theory disrupts and interrogates these categories and taxonomies of identity it questions the fixedness of identity it questions normativity And it does its absolute best at destabilizing and denaturalizing categories of humans i feel like this episode was so scrambly and all over the place and chaotic so i hope that it was somewhat coherent and that you got a little bit of something from it whether it was learning something new or questioning something that you thought you knew or maybe even just like totally disagreeing with everything i've said that's also totally cool i think that i like i don't even know where i totally stand with all of these concepts and ideas and ideologies but all that i am hoping to get out of this me personally of just like sharing these ideas with all of you listeners is just to question my own ideas and question some of these ideas that I'm learning um, in school and in my life and in my past relationships and just learning to get comfortable with the idea of being very, very wrong about a lot of things. And yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know where I stand with everything, but I just really enjoy letting out all of these ideas and knowing that somebody out there is going to get a little bit of something from it, question a little bit or wonder a little bit. And I would love to hear from some of you, some of your ideas or thoughts or questions or general wonderings. Um, yeah, I would love, 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 love to have a conversation with anyone who is into this episode and who is into whatever, stuck out to them, um, from all the crap that I talked about. In, um, just going back to Kate Bornstein's gender workbook piece, in, at the end of the chapter that I read, there was a whole section that was dedicated to, um, the reader, Journaling and processing all of the information that was thrown at them. And I really, I didn't do the full activity, I don't think, but I really, really enjoyed all the questions that it left and how much it got me thinking. And so I'm gonna read out a couple of them, and that can kind of be the takeaway for this week. If you wanna just like sit with them, take out your journal, maybe do some writing if you're into that. If not, then just like, I don't know, sitting with the questions for a couple seconds and. Yeah, just sit with them if you feel like it. And if you don't come up with an answer, that is completely fine. That's kind of the point. It's just to get your brain going and questioning and becoming curious about this idea of gender in the unique context of our individual lives. So basically the point of these questions is to provoke other questions in your mind. Um, Kate Bernstein gives A few small examples of questions like, what is a man? What is a woman? Why do we have to be one or the other? And then they demonstrate that it could lead to other questions like, what is a boy? Was I ever a boy? What was it like to be treated like a boy? Did I like it? What did I like about it? How do I like to be treated today? Does that make me a boy still? Then some other examples are questions like, what is a woman? Why am I even bothering to ask that? Doesn't everyone know what a woman is? Who the hell is everyone anyway? What business of theirs is it to tell me what a woman is? Why do we have to be a man or a woman? And what other choices are there? So those are those are just some very, very open-ended questions that Bornstein provides us in the gender workbook. And this, um, this specific piece that I'm pulling from is mostly from um, their piece called Solving the Gender Puzzle. I think it's like... How long is it? I think it's only a few pages. It's not It's not too much, but I think you can probably access it on Google. If you just search up Kate Bornstein, my gender workbook, Solving the Gender Puzzle, you should be able to access it, but you might have to purchase it. Um, you can probably find it on chapters, potentially. I'm not sure, um, but definitely a really, really interesting read. I, yeah, I was very blown away by all of the ideas that were thrown at me. And I hope that you're not feeling too blown away by having me throw these ideas back at you. But I hope that you are feeling a little bit inspired to do some questioning about your own gender or your perception of gender or your ideas about biology. And as always, I would love to hear from you if you are open to sharing. So that is all, my loves. I suppose that is it for this week. I am happy that you stuck with me. If you did, congratulations. Um, yeah, I will, I will see you next week. I hope that this was interesting for you and that you continue to have a beautiful rest of your day, whatever day it is that you're listening to this on. And yeah, we'll see each other next time. Thank you as always for tuning in.